Welcome to the T-Hud Podcast. I'm Moby. And I'm Leland Steele. And it's summer. It's hot. I have rotten food in my apartment, so I've got, like, fruit flies all around. It's like Lord of the Flies here. <laughs> but <laughs> we're podcasting. Yep. It is warm out. I mean, we just uh, had our, our banger of a five-year anniversary episode. It was a very long episode. As they uh, are, are usually want to to run as, whenever we have Ghost Marty on, in particular. <laughs> he does like to talk. He does like to yeah, come he's back a on. Airbag. <laughs> <laughs> Windbag is more like it. <laughs> but yes, he did invite himself back on. So you know, I'm sure we'll have him on sometime soon, ish. But yeah, th- this is like a hangover episode to that listener. This is the crawl yourself to fast food and like eat a greasy burger type of episode. Because uh, you ain't going to get three segments. You might even not get what's <laughs> worth two <laughs> when all is said and done. But we're going to talk for a little while and then we're going to pass out and grab Advil or something. I don't know. It's 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 the hot days of summer. I bet you, Leland, that you're recording room even though it's technically cloudy outside right now i bet you that room is still damn hot is that correct yeah, that is correct i am still sweating uh the, the weather has been kind of weird it's been like fluctuating like 10 degrees up and down every like couple days or so it's weird oh yeah and hu- humid as fuck as well totally i went for a run yesterday and it was like walking into a wall of air but it was more wall than air <laughs> well luckily my luckily my new gym is is pretty well air conditioned so it's not too bad going for a workout but yeah it's uh it's brutal at work for sure yes listener that's what you don't know over these five years as the weather has fluctuated so have our bellies and we are both now <laughs> we're both now committing to a combination of workouts diets and exercise so that even though you don't see us you can imagine us as fit, virile men come the fall. This is very, very true, yeah. <laughs> we do have a T-Hud pact going <laughs> on right now. I just imagine us as old men, though, because when we talk about our exercise and diet, it's constantly complaining about ruined joints, not recovering. It's so old. <laughs> I just, I'm just picturing, like, uh, the two handles attached to from, like, three springs that you just pull apart. You know, like that old-ass, like, 80-year-old yeah. workout stuff you would use. <laughs> I prefer to do Tai Chi slight movements, uh, you know, in the that, park. <laughs> that's way easier. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, I think if you are if you're think Tai Chi is easier, then you're probably doing it wrong. That That's right. It really is meant to be a vigorous... And high intensity exercise. So. <laughs> I think intense. I think that can be intense. It's like uh, like hot yoga. That's right. Something else I've not done, but uh, I'm sure my brother's done it many times. So maybe we'll ask him. That's more his kind of thing. I think you're you're confusing hot yoga with hot yoga instructor. I think <laughs> he has tried <laughs> that out many times too. <laughs> Oh, but only in his youth. He's a happily married well, man now. He is now. He's completely reformed forever. Um, <laughs> and on, on that note, let's uh, let's jump into the banter segment. So my understanding is you have one and I have two. So I'm going to start with what I believe may be my shorter of the two, but I'm not sure. Because you've already heard about it outside of the podcast. So listener, yesterday came in the mail 
my first ever homebrew Nintendo 64 cartridge. And this was an experiment. It's why Marty said, do you hate money? But um, it was $80 and like 110 with shipping or something like that. But I wanted to try it. And it's called Smash Brother Remix. It's widely considered one of the best homebrew games made for the Nintendo 64. And we live in an era with bootleg cartridges where you can where people off the street can program a game for the Nintendo 64 on a Nintendo 64 cartridge and you plug it in in original unmodified hardware and it plays. And I was shocked at how good this game was. It it exceeded my expectations of what I thought they would do with it for several reasons. First of all, the extra characters that it has, which are many, it about doubles the characters, are not clones i thought they were like for example star wolf i thought star wolf was going to be a clone of star fox but he isn't he has his own moves he does have like a little short range blaster thingy but it shoots completely different than fox's uh gun does and characters like conquer like if conquer was from conquer's bad fur day if he was based off an existing character i have no clue what was his template at all like he seems like he completely freshly built-in character. Same thing goes for Bowser. I mean, Bowser just seems like the Bowser from Smash Brothers Melee, but the character models are great. They look like they were original somehow. And they also have so much more music. They have so many more modes. They have a mode that's kind of like Pokemon, where you pick six characters aside who each have one life, and then you battle it out. So it's like one character dies, your next character flops in. So I think that's really cool. Uh, it has so many things. You can practice all the bonus stages now. It has like the home run derby that Smash Brothers Melee did. It's just so much necessary content, in my opinion. I have no qualms about it. Like it's completely satisfied me. The only small critique, because I thought I have to have something negative to say about it, is there are a couple, there, there's a ton of new stages. There's like three full pages of stages for you to pick. Some could use a lot more polish. Some really seem like there was a pretty amateur programmer because it was a team that developed this that came on board and said, hey, guys, I'm your friend. I created a map. Go put this map in the game. And they're kind of like, uh, sh should we put little little Josh's map in? Well, I, I guess we don't want to insult our friend. Like, like, there's one map for Kirby that's pretty bland. It's like Kirby's Dark World. But if you go on either side of the map, um, there are mountains in the foreground that completely occlude all the characters. So it's very difficult to have a fight there. And it's also a large map, so it's very difficult to knock someone off the stage. There's no holes at the bottom of the stage. This one, you have to knock them off either side. There's no easy way to do that unless they have like extremely high damage on them or you duke it out with this mountain in the foreground in which case you're awkwardly just seeing a couple like arrows moving around oh that's weird it, it is weird but um overall like i said very satisfied and i just wanted to bring that up well i'm glad you got your money's worth <laughs> thanks <laughs> what's uh what's yours there uh okay so do you know uh what walmart plus is Walmart Plus? No. My mind's going in crazy directions now. So it's, and actually, I, I until I heard about this, uh, what Walmart is wanting to do, I, I didn't know this existed either, but it's essentially like a version of Amazon Prime, but for 
Walmart. You get like free shipping. There's member only deals, faster checkouts. I don't know if it, I assume it's available in Canada, but uh, there may be a discrepancy between like the Canada and the US. I'm not sure. Uh, it seems it's about a hundred bucks a year. And uh, Walmart is looking for ways to add some value to this membership to grow this marketplace of their subscribers. Uh, and and it, it appears that they may be doing that by looking at getting into the streaming game. Oh, fascinating. Right? Walmart apparently has a history of, of kind of dipping their toes into this this pool, but never actually really taking the plunge. Um, back in 2010, they uh, acquired Voodoo, where they sat on it for a decade before selling it to Fandango. Uh, Voodoo is... Um, like, uh, you know, a, a streaming, you can go, it's a web browser. You can go into it and, and find a bunch of stuff to, to rent or et cetera, et cetera. And uh, reportedly Walmart has been in talks with Paramount, Disney, and Comcast, uh, very recently. So I don't know. I suppose there's a lot of, a few potential, uh, roads they could go down. The, the fact that they're talking to some of these other companies kind of, lends less credence to to a couple of them but like they could possibly get into making their own original content to compete directly with amazon prime um maybe they could do like uh like what amazon prime does for with their amazon channels by just offering special deals for other smaller streaming services um maybe they could a more a less direct competition by adapting something like something like a roku which you know a support a device that has ads in it and that kind of thing. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I'm thinking that probably nothing is going to happen, but clearly Amazon has shown that putting the, you know, millions and billions of dollars, uh, into developing this streaming platform uh, in addition to your other services is going to be lucrative. Yeah, and I, I have a thought on that, which is basically what I've witnessed from other streaming services. Like, for example, Disney Plus. I really like Disney Plus right now. It's got a bunch of good content. They keep adding stuff I like, like sports documentaries. But Disney Plus was not worth it, was unnecessary when it launched. Because it basically launched, and I don't even think The Mandalorian was out yet. I think it was like a month away from being out or something like that. And... I think to really compete in this saturated streaming environment, you need to have several tentpole shows and they need to overlap. You need to be constantly going from one to the other or else you're going to do like what I did with Crave, which still isn't there. And I've just canceled it until the next season of Peacemaker or Picard comes because nothing going on that I'm into it right now. Whereas, um, and I guess this is a personal choice too, but Amazon... Uh, Netflix to a degree, but especially Disney Plus is just constantly rolling, engaging content for me that makes me not want to cancel the service. Right. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, it's funny you talk about Crave because like HBO Max is an add on to Crave here in Canada. That's how we can get HBO Max. And again, it's like HBO Max light. Like it's it's not yeah. you don't get the full cadre of releases that you would with HBO Max in, in the U.S., for instance. So it's actually quite garbage, which also decreases the value of adding that onto your Crave subscription. And it's funny, though, because what we're going to talk about movie musings kind of connects to that a little bit as far as HBO Max specifically, which we'll, of course, get to in the next segment. Uh, but I agree with you, though. Like, Disney Plus has turned into a great streaming platform for me, one of my top ones that I currently subscribe to. 
And uh, again, not just because uh, I, my girlfriend really enjoys it too. You know what I mean? And I, and I just remember when it when it first coming out, and we're like, it, you're you're right. It had a season of Mandalorian, and you're like, what the fuck is this platform? I don't particularly give a shit about all the like kid centric in quotes stuff that, of course, is front loaded onto the platform like this based based on the company's back catalog. But yeah, I mean, it's it's very quickly grown into something that you could have as your only service. I mean, honestly, I, again, I think we we've talked about like differences as far as streaming exclusives before and what draws you where and. Yeah. Not the, not to rehash the type of conversation like that, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, just think of, uh, have you watched the new Prey movie? No, but, but there are some very harsh reviewers that I watch that love it. So like I'm dialed in. It's the best rated of all the Predator movies. I would absolutely recommend it. I think it was a very, very good movie. I, and I have seen a number of people saying like, it is, it's like criminal that this didn't get a theatrical release. I don't know about that, uh, but yeah, I think they did a great job. It has an all Native American main cast. Um, it's it's yeah, the the main character is great. Uh, the story is like easy to follow. It's really pretty simple. It's just like you get just enough of the predator. You know what I mean? Like the movie, you know what the movie is as soon as you walk into it. But but of course you do because it's a predator movie. You should right. And I liked it. And then a few few things they did in it um, kind of called back on the original, but then did something a little different with it, which was good because you think, oh, okay, I know exactly what's going to happen. And then it does, and you're like, oh, wait a second. And then it was like a setup for something later in the movie, which was good. It was, yeah, I definitely recommend it. So I've seen I've seen people talking about it and be like, oh, I haven't seen it yet because I don't have Hulu. And I'm like, well, we don't have Hulu in Canada, right? Do we? I don't think. I don't think so. So I'm like, wait, wait, why, why, isn't people, why are people just not watching this on Disney Plus? So <laughs> I don't know what the... What's the connection between those two? One owns the other. Disney owns Hulu now, or I think Disney does own Hulu. Okay. Um, I know Hulu's much bigger in the states because I have American friends that talk about it quite a bit. But I mean, that's a good point about Prey, um, especially about it being you know a very good film that's not released theatrically. And you know, we'll jump into it in a later segment. But um, the new CEO of of who's running the DC movies, I think he's the CEO of Warner Brother Films. He wants more theatrical releases. Yeah, exactly. That's like his new focus. And I mean, look, I, I, I know I circle jerk this franchise to the bitter end, but you look at the success of Top Gun 2, where they canceled a streaming release for it. And now it's just surpassed Titanic as like the sixth biggest uh, film in North American box office history. Um, sure, not adjusted for inflation or whatever, but that's lightning in a bottle, though, dude. That's not something you can replicate. Look at the history that this movie has. One, just because of how long ago the original came out, bringing back all the original cast and you know everything that goes with it. Okay. Plus all the trouble it had through actually getting it into theaters, it builds the the mythicism of it. But but are you te- are you telling me Prey couldn't clean up like fifty mil? Oh, I, I think Prey would have. I think Prey would have done really well in, in theaters. Uh, I think the movie is good enough. Uh, like it would have. Yeah, it would have been profitable in theaters. So I'm not sure where that decision was. Or, or and and that's my only point. My only point is that it should have also had a theatrical release. Okay, well, I put a pin in in that whole. I want to get back to that movie musings. But if you want to go on with your last banter, let's do yes. that before we move on. Sure. Yeah, I I love how we keep on touching on our segments. It's like <laughs> we always do this. 
yeah, my last banter, and, and I hope this doesn't count as quote-unquote political, but th- the podcast has to touch on Ezra Miller. Like, I know right. I harp on this outside, but it's like one of the biggest stories in entertainment because the guy cannot stay out of jail. He's like, it seems like he's running into the law, no joke, every two weeks at this point ballpark every two weeks and he was <laughs> right, just i know <laughs> he like like i share with you on on you know t- by text the insane but true titles of these news articles on him you know friends are worried that he's traveling around the u.s wearing body armor and then going to his farm and singing to his caterpillars he's raising after being arrested for walking to some guy's house and stealing liquor, after grooming teenagers, after getting in bar fights, like, he right now has a movie at Con that he's in, the Con Film Festival, and they left him in it, but they wiped him out of the credits. <laughs> so he's like persona non grata. Um, and where this goes is, is the Flash movie as well, because this is where I feel bad for DC. I mean, they're gonna can- they've canceled Batgirl, which we're going to get into, but like, what the hell do they do with the Flash where this toxic, I'm sorry, scumbag of a dude from all respects is like the lead actor? Yeah. The fuck? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, on top that on top of uh, Amber Heard with the sequel to Aquaman. Yes. Um, however, they're going to end up handling that. Like, they just keep getting hit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, their movies are mediocre and then their stars are going off the rails. So, honestly, the new CEO has his work cut up for him. And I assume they they have a plan for what they're going to do this movie. I mean, the last I've heard is, like, their, if, their whole thing now, especially with this background cancellation, uh, is if it's a good movie, we're going to put it out. If it's crap, we're not. Like, that seems to be their stance. And that's, like, a hard line that's being drawn in the sand right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting some things that have been said about that movie. But, you know, I think... Unfortunately, the case with both Amber Heard and and Ezra Miller, you don't want to judge people before they're found guilty. Like, I, I get right. that. I get that. But it might be best to, like, push their project down the road until things get resolved, especially when you're pouring tens of millions of dollars into it. That is exactly why these companies have PR teams. That's what that whole sect that they pay these people to do. Like that's all it is. That's what like they have to do it. They have to do damage control. Like you, if you right. you you are t- tying yourself. And it doesn't matter how large your company is. You are attaching yourself to individuals through th- like hundreds of individuals. You have to have something in place, some contingency plan for one of them to go nuclear. Because that is essentially what's happening with Ezra Miller. He's going nuclear, right? He is going absolutely nuclear. Right. He's the Chernobyl of actors. <laughs> and then did you hear that uh, uh, Homelander's actor was recently arrested too, right? Yes, which is crazy because you know I love Homelander. And so you know me. I'm weird obsessive about this stuff. So I looked up Anthony Starr. You know, he was on Xena. W- grew up watching him, you know, as David. Uh, versus Goliath and some other stuff. And by all accounts, he was like the nicest nice guy ever. But then he gets drunk and Homelander gets in a bar fight and yeah. like assaults someone. And the thing is like, okay, this is a surprise to listener, but you and I have been drunk before. And, you know, <laughs> no. us, us being actually violent with anybody to the point of assault 
Like, there is a bar there. Drunk or not, like there is a fucking bar. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, the, look, the the bar is obviously set in a in a different height for different people. Uh, I mean, I uh, have had my fair shares of having far too much and being incredibly irresponsible and and stupid. But I don't know, man. As a, I don't, I'm I'm not I'm not starring in one of the biggest superhero projects right now. Uh, one of the biggest things on Amazon Prime. Right, like that's a that's a huge series for Amazon Prime, and I think potentially though, if you put this up, you put Antony's antics up against Ezra's, like, is that going to have some type of influence on what some of these stars that have I don't know what you want to chalk it up to, uh, making a stupid decision at the end of the day, is that going to have an influence on what some of these other people might be able to get away with doing, you know, maybe resulting amounting to the equivalent of a slap on the wrist as far as their employment goes, you know, and that, and that kind of stuff. That's a good point. That That's a good point. I didn't consider that. I, I would even see you um, so far, you're almost seeing that with Anthony Starr because Ezra Miller is like the big actor in the news right now for all his bad behavior. Even assaulting someone in a bar seems so much less than what Ezra is doing all the time. Yeah. So in a way, yeah. in a way he might get away with his his grievance his his sins per se honestly he picked the best time to do it he <laughs> you did, know what i mean right? like <laughs> it's almost like you know you want him to be like hey ezra i'm tapping out you take over the fight um, <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I heard rumors that uh, before he threw the first punch he tried very very hard to eye laser somebody but then realized <laughs> it wasn't work He's just like staring. He's got yeah, like he's like staring intently. He's like, excuse me. Ducks away. Puts in red contact lenses. <laughs> DJ, play rock the Casbah. <laughs> and you know another thing about that is and how like because honestly, yeah, when I heard that, I'm like, oh, I was I don't know if like shocked is the word, but it's more like disappointed. Yeah, because I yes. think you just I think because I mean I've seen I mean again I I don't usually pay much attention to actors and actresses outside of their roles um unless right. they're you know usually unless there's a controver- controversy that kind of draws you into it so but i've seen a few things of him with panels like him on, on a panel with uh, um um the guy who plays butcher why am i blanking on his name that actor's name carl urban thank you yes carl urban and like jensen ackles and yeah he seems very pleasant very affable and I think also what what kind of influences that is just the juxtaposition of a, just a normal person against the character of Homelander, you know, right? So that might also influence it. Well, it, for me, too, it's, it's the media because the media, they often do this with, you know, critical darlings, um, especially if they're like villains. You know, they'll say like, you know, they're actually the nicest person ever. Um, you know, you heard that of the guy that played Biff Tannen in the Back to the Future series. Oh, you know, even Mark Hamill would say he's the nicest guy I've ever worked with. And you hear that for people that play bullies and villains and stuff like that. And it's it's kind of cute for the human experience or whatever. They, hey, you know, this really nice person can play this evil villain really well. The problem is the moment that good person does something bad in real life, it's like you said, it's more than a shock. It's disappointing. You're like, yeah, no, yeah. my hero is a real person, but maybe he has behavior somewhat worse than a lot of real people. <laughs> you know, this might not be a, this might not be a, this is not the perfect analogy, but the immediately the first thing that just came into my head is thinking of 
Truman on the Truman Show. Not Jim Carrey, but the character of Truman. Not, Of course, not knowing he's on TV, but just ending up being a serial killer. Because <laughs> he's so nice. But then he, if he like turns out, he just starts killing people around the set, not realizing he's on TV. <laughs> Sharpening a knife. Good morning, yeah. good afternoon, and good night. <laughs> In case I don't see you. <laughs> His wife comes home. Truman, what are you doing? I'm filling the bathtub with lye. <laughs> Our neighbors are coming over. No, I, that's hilarious. I just like imagine what the showrunners would do. I mean, Truman, I, I know we're getting on a tangent here, but he almost goes that insane on his wife in the show. He pulls a knife on her. Yeah, I think it's like the all-purpose thing, right? Like the multiple, <laughs> yeah. the multi-tool thing she's like promoting for the Truman, athletes. Truman, it's yeah. the multi-purpose <laughs> knife. It shaves carrots excellently. <laughs> Man, I love that movie. Me too. Why are you doing that? Who the hell are you talking to? <laughs> uh, I, I could go on about the Truman Show. Maybe we should review that one time. Like we should have the oh, yeah. all-time classic movies that you and I do for a movie musing. Let's do it. Because I've got some good thoughts on that. Honestly, some pretty deep thoughts I think you might might enjoy. But um, yeah, Ezra Miller, we'll see what happens with The Flash. You know, maybe we'll get someone to just cut him out of his own Flash movie. And we'll have, like, I don't know, Michael Keaton mentoring Batgirl, but it's not a Batgirl movie. Like just just mash the movies together. Snyder cut them. Snyder cut. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's, unless you've got something else, uh, let's, let's jump into our first segment. Let's go. Okay, it's time for Movie Musings. Uh, this segment, uh, appropriately titled Cancel Culture. As we alluded to earlier, we wanted to bring up the cancellation of, of Batgirl, which is apparently unprecedented to have a movie that costs $90 million uh, in the can and you're just not going to release it. And they don't even say like it's delayed, like they're not going to release it ever. So, you know, I, I have a quote here. I'm not sure it's a necessarily a, a very poignant quote, but I did want it as some background here. Oh, it's from The Independent. Just some quotes here, and this is by the new CEO of Warner Brother Discovery, uh, David Zaslav, I think is how you say his name. He says, we're not going to launch a movie until it's ready. We're not going to launch a movie to make a quarter, and we're not going to put out a movie unless we believe in it. And then he goes on to say he's going to put together a team of people that is going to focus on a 10-year plan for DC, specifically in the hopes of emulating the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And he says, these are brands that are everywhere in the world, characters including Batman and Wonder Woman. And as part of that, we're going to focus on quality. DC is something that we think we could make better. And we're focused on doing that now. And he went on to quote that the movie, this is the most damning word, irredeemable, irredeemable following test screenings. So, I mean, let's let's just start it off, Leland, because I know you want to talk about this. So I'll just kick this to you, like just general thoughts about this situation. Uh, Well, I think, well, OK, first, the first thing that came to mind when I heard this was like, oh, there's going to be a Batgirl movie. <laughs> I literally had no idea. I had no fucking idea. It's a good point. But yeah, I mean, I so I mean, I've seen since this news came out. I mean, it's a couple weeks old at this point, maybe not by the time this episode drops, but a couple weeks probably. 
and I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot, a lot of things coming into play here. It seems, and maybe maybe the movie really is shit, and they do have an IP integrity to uphold, right? As again, like like in the quote you read, these characters are far larger than any singular movie or, or movie franchise that they're in. Um, they generate, they're, it's a literally billion dollar industry at this point. Superheroes are a billion dollar industry. So, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot at stake, right? And I've seen a lot of opinions on this, not necessarily from anybody worth quoting, <laughs> but you know, like uh, in forums and stuff, I've, I've seen some people claiming that there was really only one outlet of test screeners that was saying that this movie was as terrible as it is. Um, and that really the WB just wants this tax write off. So because of what David is supposed to come be coming in and doing, and I'll, I'll color all this with a bit of additional background. So Warner Brothers and Discovery have recently merged. Uh, David Zaslav was the Discovery chief executive. He is now the CEO of WB Discovery uh, after this this merger. And basically, he's, they're, like they're they're going on a tear of cutting costs. I mean, they shut down their CNN Plus streaming service after a month a month after it launched, which yeah. I've saw reports had upwards of a hundred to three hundred million dollars already invested into it and spent. Uh, in additional, in addition to like 500 employees working on it, which uh, I also saw reports saying that those employees would be able to apply for like lateral movements somewhere else in WB Discovery. I don't know what's gonna, I don't know where they're gonna fit 500 additional employees, but that just seems like cuts to me. Um, and he wants to focus on theatrical releases and not on these streaming services. So before David came in, uh, Jason Killar and Ann Sarnoff. Uh, pre-merger they were the people focused on basically singularly growing the streaming service of hbo max uh leading to their infamous decision to release their entire 2021 theatrical slate on hbo max simultaneously with theatrical releases Uh, at least and again as previously mentioned strictly in the u.s where you have full hbo max in h in canada with that the hbo light we we did we, we did not get that you, in canada we did not get it simultaneously we could not have watched uh, matrix resurrections paying for it on hbo max at the same time that it was releasing in, in theaters we, we could not now i will say though they came to it seemed like they came to the, our streaming services very quickly after they were out in theaters like a, like a handful of months maybe three months tops like it felt it felt very quick but maybe that's just an, that's more anecdotal than anything um but anyways this move they they, they did it to, to grow their subscribers and and it Apparently, I mean, it worked, uh, but also uh, reportedly jeopardized the studio's reputations with a lot of top-tier talent. Uh, I also saw reports saying that after some generous make-nice bonuses got thrown around, they smoothed out a lot of those disgruntled agents and stars because of money. Hmm. (laughs) So, uh, I don't know. It just seems, that seems like a hemorrhage, (laughs) but maybe that's, (laughs) I don't know. So let me ask you though. I'll just put the question right back to you. What what were your initial thoughts of this? Because I think it's, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say if it's a stupid move, right? Like, okay. So I have a very specific thought about it because when this news first broke, I was in the midst of watching the Disney Plus series Light and Magic about industrial light and magic, which is a very good series, one of my favorite documentaries, honestly, I've ever seen. 
Um, but they were going through in the first episode how the dailies, as they're called, um, you know, just what they were working on that day or the last couple days, and they give that to the director, how they kept looking like shit, how so many things were going wrong. And, uh, well, I mean, George Lucas basically had to step in and eventually after the movie was done, John Dykstra, the head of the studio was fired. But my point is, is there's dailies for any movie. So how, like a cancer that is slowly forming, how was it not caught until this movie was completed that it was subpar? I mean, is it as simple as... A focus group because like hey everybody likes to bash studio heads and stuff like that but these people make their lives about movies if they see a movie if a bunch of them are in the room don't you think like out of the eight in the room five or six look at each other like we got a problem here like my mind can just not boggle how a supposedly subpar movie was not caught anywhere along the process i mean that's that's a that's a great point i mean bad movies terrible movies do get made i right. i assume that a company like this or, or one may make the assumption that more scrutiny would be applied to a project like this yes now obviously it sounds that all of it went into production and basically i mean i don't i'm not sure on the exact timeline but by the time david got in it was the movie was done so it's not like it was under his direction and if he is the one that is ultimately making the decision that he thinks the movie sucks, obviously based on a number of other criteria that, you know, like like these these focus groups, et cetera, et cetera, that they take in to make his decision. So here's another thing. Like, Batgirls also seemed like it, the movie itself was in this weird, like, limbo. Um, like, it wasn't big enough, I guess, from WB's perspective, not big enough for theaters to spend an extra, like, 30 to 50 million more on domestic marketing, plus tens of millions more for a global rollout, but also not small enough to make a return in, in like an aggressive streaming market. So again, another factor into a situation, into a, into a decision, I suppose, like, I mean, to put this in the theaters, it would have doubled its, its budget. Right. And, and that budget already ran over like 20 extra million because of COVID precautions and stuff. Right. Yeah. You know, a big part of me wonders too. So, you know, I talked about the, the cancerous building of the movie, but, like, I would love to just sit down with with David and ask him, like, when you saw this, what what did you see that made you do this unprecedented canceling of the film? Like, you wonder if it had, like, atrocious acting or terrible special effects or something like that. Because you're getting a lot of celebrities defending this movie, which is weird because even though they they haven't seen it. So, I mean, two that I know that have defended it. Uh, Kevin Smith, um, also John Oliver, came out on his night show and really defended it. And I, I, I do think that's odd because I'm sure they haven't seen the movie. So how do you defend something you haven't seen? It's one thing to come to the defense and say, you know, I feel bad for the actors and the crew. Well, that's fair. I mean, I, I think anybody would. But to say that, you know, oh, this movie should be released anyways. Oh, don't cancel well how do you know because one of the things is warner brothers i mean as weird as it sounds they are getting a big tax break this year by writing it off yep and i looked into exactly how that works it's actually fairly simple at least 
the layman's terms that I found. Basically, when WB files taxes, they just take their profits from the successful movies. They minus the losses they suffered to figure out their taxable income. So all it's going to do is just going to lower them into like another a lower bracket, right? And they're going to have to pay less taxes on it. And so they're coming in the form of this tax cut. But I mean, $90 million is, is, it seems pretty significant to me. I don't know what WB's average yearly gross is. I mean, I should have looked that up, but like it's significant, I would, I would imagine, right? And again, so, so a tax cut like that is often justifiable by a studio. In this case, they, so it's, it's, I don't know, it just seems strange to me because in this case, it is, it is a, a predicted loss. Right. And then now that they've just done made this decision, this for them to be able to get this tax right off, they cannot profit on it at all. It cannot come out of the theaters. They cannot just throw it onto their streaming servers. They can do absolutely nothing with it if they're going to go for this tax write off. So I think that that IP integrity comes back into play when you talk about being able to justify this loss. Potentially. I don't I don't really know the particulars, obviously. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I think like we're going to look back in 20 years and because this movie is essentially the first of its kind to be canceled like this, especially in the modern era, it's going to be like the great white elephant. Like what well, could have been? Hold, hold on. Don't speak oh. to that term because WB also completely canned the Scoob sequel Holiday Hunt. Oh, horrible. I'm. I'm tearing up, Leland. Outrage! Where's the Kevin Smith outrage? (laughs) For that poor dog. That poor hungry dog. Looking for a Scooby snack. Maybe maybe the the Scoob sequel getting completely shuttered also lands more credence to Batgirl not being, just not being a good movie. Yeah. But, okay, here, conspiracy theory. I'm going to spiral now. Okay. Batgirl was going to have... Michael, another, uh, Michael Keaton reprising his role as Batman from 1899 Batman. I mean, J.K. Simmons coming back as, as Gordon. Um, uh, Brendan Fraser. Brendan be fucking Firefly? Fraser. Yeah. What? What? Like, give me the movie just for that. I'll, I want to watch this Totally. Movie. But now, so Keaton coming back as Bats, like, was that, that's not, that was, and, and you know, and Affleck is coming back as Batman in the Aquaman sequel, apparently. Yeah. Now with what supposedly what the plot for Flash Flash's movie is is having a bunch of all these Batmen in the same spot from all different times or whatever, right? Because he's like a time traveler. Yeah. So maybe there was too much of a tie to the plot of Flash, and they already know what they're going to do with it as far as maybe completely scrapping it and redoing. I mean, that would be detri- that would be crazy. Yeah. But maybe there is something there. Maybe it's too much. And what they're planning to do with Flash is so unsalvageable for any projects linked to it that just Batgirl could not exist and just makes, literally makes, no longer makes any sense as a movie in the grand universe. That's, that's interesting. I could see potential for that. At the very least, I could see that as a factor that they weighed in. Like, look, we can take this huge tax cut and we're not going to conflict with Michael Keaton's long-awaited return or this multiverse. It, it does make it more appealing, even from a quote-unquote quality or storyline perspective. I feel bad because you know you know how much I love Michael Keaton. And now there is literally a Batman, a Michael Keaton official Batman performance we will not see. Right. And and even though we hopefully will still see him in The Flash starring unnamed actor one, but uh, 
<laughs> Maybe they'll just okay. So every scene with Ezra not in the suit because he's masked up. You could right. maybe get away if you could find an actor to play Barry outside of the suit and just reshoot every scene where he's not in his suit. <laughs> I I actually thought that because I think he's the other Flash. Might be does the name Barry Coog or Kag uh, ring a bell to you? K e o u g h. I'll send you a picture of him after. He kind of has an Ezra Miller look to him, and I wonder. Yeah, like I wonder, like what you said. It's like, okay, so he's in the suit. How many dramatic scenes does he have? Can you just do reshoots with Barry Coog or Keg or whatever in there? I thought of that. Right, and they've done it. They did it with Back to the Future, right? Back to, the original Back to the Future, you are right. They shot most of that movie with... Uh, Eric oh, Stoltz? I can picture Eric Stoltz, that's right. But he didn't have the comedic timing. It was too intense. For what they wanted so they finally fired him and brought in fox and reshot it all so you're right that has precedent yeah that has precedent there we go maybe that's the route they go i just i just hope they don't half-ass it like okay so how big of a role was amber heard really going to be in aquaman 2 and now they won't remove her but they've like really minimized her but the fact that she's still there is gonna like perk up everybody's interest for the little bit she's on screen i to me, that's kind of a case where it's like you're either in or you're out with an actor. I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't envy the position that uh, WB is in with, with these films, right? Like, you know, it strikes me too, like, under uh, David Zeslav's direction, there is no fucking way in hell the Snyder Cut ever would have gotten made. No. Oh, Absolutely no. no fucking way. Absolutely, I agree with you. Yeah. He seems very ruthless when it comes to economics when it comes to wanting just home runs. Um, so you're right about that. And I mean, I'm not saying this is a positive or a negative, but he certainly is changing the culture for DC uh, very quickly. Um, for better, or for worse, we'll see. But I mean, he he is flipping the script, if not the table alongside this. Yeah, so. I, I mean, honestly, but his his remarks about like having this dedicated team to develop DC uh, uh, um, film universe for the next decade, like they're <laughs> they're still. It sounds like they're still just doing it wrong. Like you just need to make a fucking movie that is good and can stand on its own. I don't, and I don't think people care about shared universes anymore. We have too much of a shared universe, okay? I believe that is what MCU is suffering from right now. The universe is getting too large, and but MCU is keeping the scope still tiny, if that makes any sense. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, we didn't necessarily want to get into Phase 4 today in detail, but you're right. They're doing a lot of a little, it seems, and... I, I agree. I mean, there's people like me, like I, I would admit I'm a casual Marvel fan and I've completely lost track of where the shared universe is right now. I didn't finish WandaVision, so I don't know what she's up to. I haven't watched Thor 4 yet. Um, I mean, fuck, I hadn't even completed Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And that was like phase two or three. Probably two. <laughs> but like as me as a casual fan, like, man, I, we'll, we'll just call it Endgame is like the last time I felt kind of plugged into the universe at all. And I think that's shared with with a lot of people. 
it's hard. I mean, people just, we have so much, so many entertainment choices now and the shared universes require a lot of buy-in for your time to, to get all that they're trying to give you because you, you're not going to enjoy it as much, in my opinion, if you don't see how everything intertwines, but to do that is a lot of time, if not money. Yeah, I mean, and, and we saw with Infinity War and Endgame how well the payoff for building something like that is. Building something entwined and connected and well thought out uh, being a very key factor into that. So so then why are, why are we tired of it? Like, is it too much? It's just suddenly we've, we've hit critical mass on the buy-in. Is that what's happening? Because... Phase one through three. I mean, we we talked about it last episode in the in the long banter about it. How fast it seems that phase four, five, and six are coming, yeah. starting and coming to an end, right? Versus the first three. So is that what it is? Because in addition to that uh, expedited timeline, there's far more content too in those three yeah. phases. You know, I think for me that in my reasons would be different than yours. I think for the fatigue. But as someone who is always a casual fan of superheroes, Marvel started with the, you know, the best of the bunch, the heroes that everybody knows. And now a lot of them are dead or retired or moved on. And so you're getting these more obscure superheroes. And it's just not stuff a casual fan like myself would care that much for. You know, Captain and American Iron Man are who they are. But, you know black adam or i know i'm crossing like into other cinematic universes but even like shazam i don't know who that is uh black panther is cool wakanda is cool but i knew nothing about it until the black panther movie so let me ask you then what uh and it's funny you mentioned black adam because i was gonna uh, bring that up is what does uh does the leading role is that what's going to draw you to a a film or or a TV series about a specific, I mean, obviously we're talking superheroes specifically. Uh, is it going to be the person in the leading role that will draw you into it or, or someone else just, you know, a, a tertiary character or a supporting character? Is that what will, what could draw you to those films then? I, I think the character specifically, because you, you mentioned kind of like the leading person who would lead the role. I love the rock. I do, but I am not going to see, black adam because the rock is in it. it it would be more the character like if the rock was playing let's just say like in an alternate version of this world the rock was playing hulk and we were getting a standalone hulk starring dwayne johnson well yeah i'm in because at that point you've got the star <laughs> power plus you know well-known character but these more obscure characters know the actors cannot draw me in they cannot okay that's interesting because you and it's and I'm glad you generalize that because I was gonna say specifically Dwayne Johnson like seven eight years ago maybe like he could have drawn me into a movie just because of who he is but now it's like I mean I think Ghost Marty has put it pretty bluntly a few weeks ago when we were hanging out like he just plays himself in every movie he's in he's coming in he he's just Dwayne Johnson being whatever character he is. So like when you look at the black Adam trailer and it, it, it looked like it was a, the trailer was very well polished and put together. It had a, a number of additional characters that are, uh, that I liked seeing for the first time, like, like Hawkman, 
um, et cetera. And that's what draws me to that property. Like seeing some of these characters that, I mean, kind of doesn't go, it, it doesn't take away from or, or counter the argument you're making because I am familiar with that character still. So that's not helping anything. But again, for a fan like me who has a little more knowledge, and again, I don't really have any knowledge on Black Adam specifically, but I don't know what can draw me to those films now because I don't think I'm like, I'm not going to go see them in theaters. I'm not going to see uh, Shazam 2, Wrath of the Gods or whatever, Fear of the Gods or whatever it's called in theaters. I'm going to wait for it to come out uh, if ever now with David at the helm on HBO Max. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I do. And in that sense, you and I are not that different. Like you have some appeal for this movie, but not the appeal that, we had in like phase one and two because like phase one and two you myself and ghost marty we were going opening weekend to all these films oh we were we like midnight showing uh cap uh iron man iron man 2 like yeah a number of them right and from both of us there's not that level of excitement anymore and i think that that speaks to it yeah no i i completely agree and there's one other thing i wanted to ask you that we again we've kind of talked about before and kind of the impacts that COVID had on theaters specifically. But what are your thoughts on that, you know, that decision that was made in 2021 from WB, the, the sm- simultaneously release in theaters and, and streaming? What, what, what are your thoughts on that exactly? Okay, I thought it was an, I thought it was a good experiment to see what would happen. Being that we were still in the pandemic to a degree, uh, being that theaters had been hit. The problem with that experiment is me as a member of the general public wouldn't be able to see what it was doing as far as earnings on streaming or affecting subscriberships. All those companies hide that from us. Box office receipts in a theater, very easy to get a hold of to see how much is selling on a given weekend. That's not possible for streaming. But I imagine myself, if I was an executive, that it would be worth an experiment. But I sense a sort of backlash to go to theatrical releases now outside of just, you know, David Zaslav. But I think I think there's smoke where there's fire. Like if they're going back for just pure theater releases, it's because they think they can make more money just doing that. Well, I'm going to assume that doesn't mean those films, once the theatrical run is complete, will not be coming out on the streaming service. Of course. Because they already have that infrastructure. Why the fuck wouldn't they use it? And continue to garner whatever profits they're currently making on them. So I don't think that's going to be uh, a thing. Uh, although, I mean, who knows with the CNN Plus shutdown? I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, it CNN being a news outlet, uh, there's a number of other factors into having this streaming platform that can draw in you know people with money and how that can influence etc etc so that obviously that's like a whole different kind of discussion to have outside of what we're talking about but i don't know if it's just more pressing like as all this is just like precedent being set you know what i mean so like what are the what are we we're going to see the ripples if any in the years to come uh i mean i think for sure it's setting a precedent for wb like and and Obviously, David has to make WB more profitable because that's what they're bringing him in to do. Like they put him in in charge here for for a reason. And I don't know if um I don't know what direction this merger as far as like buyouts go. You know, is it 
WB grabbing Discovery or vice versa? Um, I really have no concept of the size of either of those two entities now having come together. But clearly, usually, I think, uh, unless I'm completely talking my ass, when a merger like this happens, it's because both sides have a, a failing somewhere that the other one can help them shore up, and it's mutually beneficial because, you know, you have two struggling entities becoming one to be stronger. So, like, no wonder Dave is going around cutting everything and hacking and slashing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he has to be bold. It's his mandate to make as much money to milk this thing as much as he can. But, I mean, he's pretty late in the game taking over the reins here. A lot has been done. A a lot of movies. Um, And, yeah, I mean, besides kind of rebooting shit, which it sounds like he's sort of semi-doing. Yeah, you kind of have to make moves like that. Uh, You kind of answered the last question I had for you. I mean, I did have a note that uh, the lukewarm reception of Thor 4, uh, do you think that might affect Marvel in a similar way uh, to what's going on with DC? But as we've spoken about it, I don't really see a connection, per se. Uh, no, not, 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 nothing that's uh, in, you know, inherently apparent uh, at face value. But, like, I think just Marvel is a freight train that is just, like, won't stop, right? Like, it can't stop. At this point... There are they're just making money hand over fist. It's just a matter of how much they make. You know what I mean. And obviously, when we talk about earnings of companies this size, like yeah, the, like any company wants to be as profitable as profitable as as possible. But like they're also going to have good and like good and better, and then like worse years, right? Like so, at what value are the the heads of these companies being like okay? We had a fucking banger year, but it's not feasible. How could we ever maintain a profit like this, right? Like going forward. So where and how are they managing those expectations? Obviously, they're looking at the slate of whatever of upcoming products they have and trying to put a value on it. But how can they possibly do that? I mean, how do, how do the, how does Marvel put an estimated valuation on profits earned from Phase Six? How can they possibly do that at this point, right? They can't. They can't. All they can do is put a roadmap for themselves and hope that they can, you know, make as much as possible. But again, at this point, I think anything, something has to drastically, drastically go wrong for Marvel properties to not make any money. I agree with that. I think what it would take, I mean, the only situation I can think of that would be similar was when Solo flopped for disney and disney disney hit the red emergency button on the ride and stopped theatrical releases and years later we still don't i believe don't have any hard planned theatrical releases uh for star wars they've just moved all on to streaming where most people are happy anyways but like it would take a an utter failure of a black adam or uh thor i mean i don't think thor's failed enough for that but um like a major money loser on a major marvel tentpole i think that could freeze them up i honestly anything short than a few dozen mickey mouse mascots gunning down an entirety of disney world 
would ever stop or put a halt on anything Disney. Like I think it's comparing comparing Star Wars to Marvel to MCU, like that's apples and oranges to me because the dire- the direction that they they've gone with Star Wars, like they're they're looking at they they t- they take Star Wars right they take Star Wars and again they have they have this this vision uh, right the, 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 this plan that they want to go with it and it 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 gets bastardized right in a, in the majority of people's eyes obviously there are people that are fans of the latest trilogy et cetera et cetera but by all accounts script writing uh, maybe not performances but mostly script base and potentially like uh, time of development those three movies are just they're like not they're mediocre movies right like and i wouldn't even call i wouldn't even call them bad movies they're just like they're just movies like they're, they're, there's there's not outstanding scripts there, there's nothing revolutionary with them with the ip we have the, this character in ray who's just a complete mary sue which is just boring and, yep. and again no and it, it's no that's not a comment on uh, Daisy's performance because she's she's doing the what she can with the material. Everybody in in those movies are doing what they have. Mark Hamill's doing what he had with the material, right? Like, so I I don't know if if the comparison of those two, I think it's worth talking about for sure. But I, I think it's a different comparison because they wanted to make they wanted to make Star Wars something like MCU, right? They tried, and they and they're still. They're still developing that, like you said, via their streaming platforms, but not in the form of movies, right? In the form of of series now. And so far, they're doing a pretty good job. I mean, obviously, really, we only have... I mean, I guess at this point, we have, like, two seasons of Mando, right? One season of Boba Fett, one season of Obi-Wan. Right, Boba Fett and Obi-Wan, yeah. All of varying degrees of quality, Right. I, I don't even know where I'm going with this. All I'm going to say is that I'm just very excited for Ahsoka Catan. <laughs> That's all I want. And if that series is gar, if if that is bad, if they fuck that up somehow, I am done with Star Wars. I I'm going on record right now. If the Ahsoka series is trash, I'm fucking done with Star Wars. You said something like, I know you meant Ahsoka Tano. You said something like Ahsoka. Did I say Ahsoka Katan? And, <laughs> yeah, and then right. I imagine like Chris Chris Katan in the Ahsoka costume doing like the Night of the Roxbury. <laughs> Vader, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. Well, I mean, and that's the other thing. They, we need to just get away from Darth Vader. Like as cool as Darth Vader is, we just need to get away from Darth Vader. Yeah. And, and you know, one thing that I, I've been given hope, Leland, hope, is uh, the newest Andor trailer. Because not about Andor. Fuck Andor. He can go do his thing. It's the political intrigue about the forming of the rebellion that I saw in that trailer that appeals to me. That's the story I want to hear. That's the untold story. Now, I just hope they don't just insert Darth Vader randomly like, oh, you are doing politics. It's like, no, just <laughs> just let, let these other new characters form the rebellion and fight and gossip and, and, and do all this stuff because that could be interesting. Yeah, and, and you know it's fun. It's funny though. Like, uh, it just kind of occurred to me having like a character like Vader. I mean, obviously Darth Vader is a great villain, right? He he, he does exactly the character does exactly what the character needs to do. Now, when you have him in like all of these other adjacent properties, it just feels like 
the universe is ridiculously small and Vader is literally just everywhere all the time. Can I make a, a point in, this is an anecdote, but I'm pretty confident in saying this after being on way too many message boards and comment sections of YouTube. The fans who are in the generation younger than us, the Gen Z, they don't want Darth Vader. They want Anakin, which is perhaps the one of the great hopes of the Ahsoka Catan series, the Tano series, <laughs> is, is, is having Anakin there more than Vader. That That's what I would hope. I would hope that that's mostly, if not all, flashbacks, that they put some fucking digital makeup or something on Hayden Christensen. <laughs> Look, they, they will have to de-age the shit out of Hayden. And not to, they'd have to de-age the hell out of Ahsoka. Ahsoka is a teenager when she's fighting in the Clone Wars. She's like 13 years old when the Clone Wars starts. There's no way they're going to have Anakin in this. Uh, I Well, I mean, Hayden Christensen's in it, so he's either Vader or he's he's Anakin. I mean, he's then, the, then the it, only then two it's, characters he can play. Oh, okay. But I don't want him to be right. Vader in the show, because Ahsoka in the series has even had this the helmet slashing moment. Like, she's had this epic, oh, you're my master, you become Vader moment. So right. what what more is there to build? I Honestly, exactly. Like, she's, she's she fought him in Rebels. All of which is, uh, that's canon, right? Like, uh, Yes, yes. Rebels is canon. Okay, then then we don't need Ahsoka facing off with Darth Vader anymore. I agree. I agree. So that's why I said my hope, even though it's the much more difficult path, is that it is as a flashback. But... Okay. Huh. I and mean, then what we'll are they going to do with... Uh, how... There's They can't de-age... Who's the actress that... What's her name? Ros- Rosario Dawson. Okay, they cannot make... They cannot de-age Rosario Dawson to a 13-year-old girl in her makeup to, to be with a, a 21-year-old Hayden Christensen. <laughs> no, they can't do that. You know what? Just take black and white bikini archival footage from Sin City and use that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Because she was in that, but uh, yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah. She's. I mean, she's a great actress. You know what's cool is. about she her? She's like, she's like a, she's like the perfect uh, supporting actress. So I'm really excited to see her helm this project. Um, because, like, I mean, she, she has, she's like the connection between all of the original Netflix Marvel uh, TV series, right? Where like Daredevil and Nick and Luke Cage and uh, Jessica Jones and stuff. Like, she's kind of this vein that runs through all of those. Uh, which is really cool. So, like, she has her hand in a lot of these properties already. Um, I think, like, what we saw of her in Mandalorian was really good. Like, she just she yeah. just fit. She fit. She, she's, you know, I mean, nowadays, as our most famous episode ever said, Geek is good. She is someone who loves to go to cons. She's great with the fans as well. The fans love her. Um, now, and we were talking about flashbacks, but I do think she's in an age-appropriate role for where... Ahsoka is going to take place because I believe she's going to be searching for Grand Admiral Thrawn, which means, you know, age appropriate and for the actress. And you would buy that because, well, I shouldn't speak for you, but I bought Katie Sackhoff as Bo-Katan because she's supposed to be like a 40 year old Bo-Katan in the Mandalorian time frame. So there was no need to suspend belief. There was no need for de-aging. There was no need for all this stuff you just write a story that's age appropriate for the character and that's what i hope they do with ahsoka and and what i think they will do 
But yeah, we we've totally digressed on this topic. You know, <laughs> A little it, bit. it was like Marvel and Star Wars. Those are like the two things I that know, get us off our game. I know. Or get us into a game. I don't even know anything about Star Wars. And I don't know why I discuss it as passionately as I do. I know what I like about Star Wars and I know what I fucking hate about Star Wars. Those are the two things I know about Star Wars. That's it. I was about to, <laughs> I was about to say a wise man once told me. You do not, you do not like Star Wars. You like the idea of Star Wars. You know what? That is what, boy, that man was a wise motherfucker. Because that, that's legitimately 100% true. It is. That is 100% true. If you remove the Skywalkers and the Force from Star Wars, you would be one of their biggest fans. Because you look, hate no, the no, Force. No, 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 look, look, look. No, use the, keep the Force. The Force is dope, okay? The Force is what draws people into Star Wars. Just use the Force appropriately. Use it like it's fucking telekinesis and, and te- telepathy and mind-altering. Just That's what's cool, okay? And use it consistently, all right? Use it yes. consistently. Let's move on. Okay, we're, okay, we're moving, moving on to video game fucking variety show <laughs> <laughs> of Steam and Epic. And we're basically going to just kind of be discussing what are similarities and differences of some yeah. of the various uh, 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 platforms in which and launchers in which you can get your, your games like Steam and GOG, Epic Game Store. They're, I mean, honestly, <laughs> depending on the studio... There's like a launcher for everything. Like Ubisoft has their own fucking launcher. Um, it's just honestly, it's like really frustrating. EA has their own launcher. So if you if you buy any of these games, not through like, I mean, I don't know if GOG is like, if you would think like that GOG, Steam, and Epic are like the Trinity. But maybe for the purpose of this segment, let's call those three the Trinity. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. Okay. In all seriousness. So if if you buy a game outside of the Trinity. You still have to get your own fucking launcher for it. Like, that's what drives me nuts. Like, if you look at your, my fucking desktop, there's launchers for everything. I'm like, games I'm not going to play. And, like, Blizzard, you know, Blizzard has their own launcher, which you can get their games through. And I suppose it's convenient. Now, maybe I'm I'm jumping way fast. I'm all revved up now. I'm going too quick. We're going too fast in this segment already. Okay. Brakes. Brakes, <laughs> Lee. And brakes. Basically, okay, when I think of... <laughs> a, a games launcher and, and like the whole culture behind i don't know if culture is right but the whole the whole idea of it immediately it's just it just screams it's too much it's too there's too much of it, it just, i want i want simple yeah I, I i would agree with that i mean it's difficult i don't use epic at all now i i have an account there but i haven't used it in years i don't think i've had the launcher loaded on my like last two computers um but i have steam and gog and it's already there's been times where I forgot what game I have on which. There's been times where I've accidentally bought like this same game on sale because I forgot I owned it. Because one of the things that I've noticed about dis- digital distribution. So we're old enough back in the day that we had PCs that use CD and DVD ROM games. And you had to go to the store to specifically buy the game you wanted to play. But now it's so easy to gift games. It's so easy to buy bundles of games on sale that on both services, I have so many games that I've never even installed yet. It's crazy. Now, I don't know about you. You you tell me. Like, do you have a lot of games that you haven't played? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's the same as, like, a, like my board game collection. There are dozens and dozens of games, like, I have on, on my quote-unquote shelf, in this case, virtual shelf, that just are, are unplayed. Um, 
I mean, uh, you know what? It's funny. It's because like I've never, I was, I've never really been a huge PC gamer, and since I've gotten an actual like decent rig, uh, you know, in the last like two years, I've, I've, I'm in more into gaming on this, this on my console, or sorry, on on the PC versus console, which normally I am on. So a lot of, you know, a, a lot of, uh, I would probably have all these games downloaded and ready at the finger of my my fingertips, right? If I had the space to have them there. So it always for me personally, just because I need, I need, yes. a, I need another drive. I need an upgrade. It's just a juggling act of keeping space. So everything can run smoothly on it, you know, and what do I delete if I want to put something else? Oh, cause basically what I have installed now are like things when I think of laying on the couch, boy, I should play a game. And I think of what game would I want to play? Like the first few games that come to mind are the ones I keep installed because those are the ones I always go back to. Now, I don't know if that, I don't even know how much this ties into this conversation, but like that is another thing. Like, I don't know what I have. You know, it's funny because just the other day I looked into my Epic Games launcher and I'm like, what do I have in this library? What games are on my Epic? Because I could tell you what I could, I could mostly tell you what I have on Steam. But Epic, the only thing I've ever got on Epic is, you know, whatever free game they put up every two weeks or whatever they do. So I've never purchased anything on Epic. I, I'm, I'm very rarely used it. And I don't know if we want to talk about like numbers. I have specific numbers between Steam and Epic. Um, so for the longest time, Valve basically had this, this whole market cornered with Steam, right? And right. they, they are, they're like the largest games provider because I would say because they've been doing it the longest. I don't necessarily think, and maybe you have some points. I know you're going to talk about a few things Steam specific, but I don't really know if it's because of what they offer versus others. Maybe it is. I, I see Steam in a way a lot like Netflix. You know, it's kind of first on the scene. It's the one people know of the most. I mean, gamers know of Epic and gamers know of good old games. But it was kind of there as the mainstream one. And most of the big releases do go there in general, like you said, unless they have, um, you know, private launchers. But just like Netflix, it's one of the ones I use the least. I'm looking right now because my Steam will tell me. I have 156 games that I own. I've installed 16. So <laughs> it's like it's 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 like an overwhelming amount of content. And I know I'm not going to ever play like 100 of those games. And it's it's tough because, you know, I have friends that will buy me like like my friend Joe. He'll buy me like five games for my birthday every year and then five at Christmas. And it's like, it's very generous of him. And I think that's what's awesome is the wish list function in Steam. So you can see what what people actually want instead of, you know, me finding Goo Goo Baby Game and buying it for you and Go Smarty just because I think you'd like that too. Um, <laughs> so wish lists are great that way, but there's just too much content. Like, fuck, streaming, you know, streaming eight hours of an eight episode show on Disney Plus or something. You know, when you're playing some of these games that we like, these are upwards of 30, 40 hours or more for a game. And in addition to all the other entertainment we have, you know, I just find that that we don't have time. Um, but to not digress too much, Steam, I find, is the mainstay. Uh, I, I do like its gifting features. Um, I do like its friendship thing. Um, you know, it's really fun to see what other people are playing. And for certain games, you can like, request people to join you or just start watching them 
Well, it has the community aspect of it built into it, which is huge, yes. right? It's the Steam. It's the Steam community, right? Um, so uh, just a few a few metrics that either of these platforms kind of use to to measure their own success. And I will say that since like I think Epic launched their store in 2018, I think it was like they've seen some significant growth just in the last four years. But let's so Epic Epic Games reported in 2021. Uh, 62 million monthly average users uh, as of December 2021 versus uh, Steam's 132 million monthly active users. Steam had 69 million daily active users at a uh, peak. So they have more daily active users than Epic has monthly. And again, I think a lot of that, maybe I completely did just misspeak because like, I just completely discounted Steam's community aspect of what they have um, because like, you go in there and you you know you, you see like a ton, ton of game reviews and, and comments and and uh i mean a, a huge variety of games in all sorts of development which i think it's something you want to touch on uh and i thought like for a while steam steams was just kind of running out of steam like they were just decreasing and and i and i know since in the last two years basically since 2020 They've seen some huge upticks. Uh, I mean, a lot of that to do with, you know, people being in lockdown during 2020, et cetera, having, you know, this form of entertainment pretty much it. Uh, the other thing I wanted to bitch about, though, uh, before maybe you launch into some of your favorite things about Steam or whatever, is that it, depending on the developer, I believe, if you were somebody that plays games multiplayer, like say you picked up a game on a free week from Epic, but your buddy has that same game on Steam, depending on the game and the developer, you will most likely not be able to play together because you have it from a different client. Right. That's right. fucked. That's cross fucked. Platform, yeah. Cross cross platform. But it's not a platform. It it's fucked. not even a fucking platform. <laughs> no, and you're right to read about me. that. That's what kills right? me. Right? There's more there's more cross platform than there is cross service, whatever we want to call this. Sure, Whereas whatever this title should be you put easier. It on. This should be easier because it's both PC. So you would assume. I don't understand it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean there's got to be something else going on that I just have zero knowledge on. But, like, it doesn't matter. It's it's annoying. And it's like every time you're like, you know, you're like, hey, let's uh, let's get to go play this game. You're like, okay, well, where did you buy it? Or even an upcoming game like, hey, are you going to pick this up? Well, where are you going to buy it? Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, and it's an uh, easy thing to, uh, about that. Let's let's use Borderlands as an example because Epic Games shelled out a lot of money to make Borderlands a timed exclusive on their platform. They had it, you can only buy Borderlands games on Epic for the first year that it is out. And I saw some figures in 2020, Epic Games put up like $444 million in acquiring some of these exclusives. Making, like, apparently the Epic Games Store has been operating at a loss since they launched. Like, they do not turn a profit. And that loss is getting, is decreasing over the years. But, man, I don't, there is, like, they're hemorrhaging, like, hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, I, I think that's crazy. I, I think that's cray-cray. It's tough for me to speak about Epic, but anytime someone sells at a loss... The part of my brain that's business, that's marketing, goes like, you damn well better have a rock-solid business plan for how you're going to turn this around. I forget what it was, whether it was like PlayStation 3 or PlayStation 2, 
or I don't know, fuck, it could be PlayStation 4. One of the PlayStations. Sony just sold it at a loss the whole lifespan. And, I mean, I'm guessing they made it up through licensing and games or something like that, but it just boggles my mind that you were selling at a loss your hardware the entire lifespan of the machine. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's just... It's, it's just boggled my mind. So I've kind of spoken about what I like about Steam. Like, I, I can't really say more, except it has most of the games. The community features are great. Uh, I, I find the interface is, is fun, too. I like the recommendations it gives me. I tend to find them pretty accurate. Um, Good Old Games is closer to my heart because I was on there. I like to say when it really was Good Old Games, before they started to release uh, new AAA titles... Uh, when it was like the only legal and convenient way to get a bunch of the 10, 20, 30 year old PC games that I grew up with and really liked. And it seemed like they were constantly adding ones that I wanted. Most, I would say all but two PC games, older PC games that I would want to legally buy are available on GOG now. The two that are missing, if anyone's curious, MechWarrior 2 and Freelancer. I find its interface is really good. Uh, I find its prices are better. This is an interesting thing. So I think good old games as cloud has been improving because for the longest time, and I would test this when good old games had a sale, I would go to steam and sure enough, steam would have the same game on for the exact same price. So they weren't giving good old games an edge, but I did some checking of just random titles that were on sale on GOG yesterday. And a lot of them that I found were a deeper discount than Steam, even if it was they were both on sale on Steam. So one of two things has happened. Either they've simply got permission to sell at deeper discounts now, or they're getting favorable pricing, favorable exchange from those uh, publishers that are allowing the games on their platform because they're simply beating Steam in a sale. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder what, if any, like type of like map policies or whatever they have to abide by and that kind of stuff. I guess that's going to probably vary drastically industry to industry, but something I think seems like something as large as the video game industry in general is going to have just so many different variations like that are just boiled down from like, like peer to peer kind of uh, you know, a transaction that are probably just going to be different. Yeah. And you know what? Here's another difference that I've noticed about GOG. And I, I'm on it right now as I'm like, uh, I'm poking around. Um, they give away free stuff. They're not as well known as, as Epic, but they give away free stuff. In Steam, maybe once a year will give away a shitty like B-grade game. Maybe once a year. I do think they've started to ramp that up, though. I think maybe seeing some of their now competitors doing this, because uh, I, I think they are adding s some better titles, I think, let's put it. But honestly, like some of the games that Epic gives away, I don't know how they get away with <laughs> putting some of them up for free. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, like, and you know what else is crazy here? what I had no clue until I logged in just now. It's holy shit. Uh, okay. So two surprising things. First of all, it's the 20th anniversary of GOG. I didn't even know that, uh, uh, it had been around that long, but, um, 
What I also just noticed is Stalker 2. You know I like Stalker. Uh, Stalker 2 is on sale. MSRP, $150. What? <laughs> for a download-only game. I just... I, do, I don't understand. I mean, it does include... It's one of those ones that includes the season pass, so you get upcoming DLC. Okay, but 150 bucks. Whoa, that's that's the most expensive digital download game I think I've ever seen. Yeah, that's that's nuts. I I do I do have a comment here, and and I've been biting my tongue on this because you mentioned at the very beginning of the segment about individual launchers. One thing about the individual launchers, like I have uh, one for World of Warships, uh, for example, um, a few others, they take up a massive amount of memory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To to essentially launch one game. And that's one of the greatest benefits of, of the, the beautiful triad, the Triforce of, of uh, you know, GOG and Steam and, and Epic, is that the launcher itself nests dozens of games. Like, I could not function with my computer having, you know, what I have plus like two or three more individual launchers. My memory's too backed up. Right. And I've got a terabyte, but it's like, Still, it's just. I mean, uh, it fills up quick. Well, when you have like major AAA titles, like taking a hundred to hundred, hundred to two hundred gigabytes, like it fills up really quickly. And then the updates are like, it's like, yeah, you know, sixteen gigs here, twenty <laughs> gigs here. It's like, like, uh, okay. I mean, you you know what? One updates all the time, and I should just delete it because I don't play it. Is is my brother's specialty Counter Strike Global Offensive? That thing seems to have an update like every second fucking day, and it's always like a few gigabytes here and there. Like, I would love to know how much memory this entire game is taking up on my system right now. <laughs> just, just updating with spyware and malware every time it updates. <laughs> it probably is. That's why I get shot in the, the head all the time. I actually, it's weird. I had this conversation with non-listener Mike on the weekend. We're like, reminiscing about playing counter-strike with my brother and we're like we sucked so bad and i'm like so you deleted it right he's like nah it's still there he's like did you delete it i'm like nah it's still there (laughs) (laughs) that's just fucking laziness is what that is that is get rid of it cut the cord buddy i i did some pruning last week uh as you know um unfortunate but it it happens i had a mutually decided to move on from a friendship with a long-term friend of mine but he really liked to online game way more than i did and he kept on getting me to buy games or gifting me games like double a triple a titles that had multiplayer and took up so much space and um it got to the point that it was excessive like i literally had cut him off i said for me to play a new game that you suggest i need to delete an old game that you suggested because i have no more space but I never played those games outside of him. And now that he's gone, I uninstalled all those games. And I felt like clean. I felt like refreshed. <laughs> I did. That's like filling a box full of your ex's belongings and putting, out, putting it out on the curb. <laughs> exactly. You were just tor- torching it on fire and having a wiener roast over it. It was... Ah, uh, it's therapeutic. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it was because... Um, I mean, there were other things like he was very pushy about playing like it basically as soon as we were done a three hour gaming session, he'd be like, when do you want to play next? When when can we book in to play next? And I'm like, buddy, shit, like I'm done. Just give me 
a few days to go live life and do other stuff. So I don't want, like, it would be hyperbole to call those games quote-unquote traumatic, but I don't have good memories of most of them. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing in almost all of them because I'd never play. And so it's it's nice to see them, uh, to see them gone. And make room, hopefully, for some new ones. That's what I can say about what I've got loaded on right now is it's efficient. Almost all of these I play. Like, at least at least every second week, I'll throw these up. Um, except for Counter-Strike. <laughs> <laughs> There's always an exception to the rule. <laughs> yeah, hence my comments about that. Um, I, do, I do have one, one last note that I, from my end that I want to bring up. Which is, is how do these services, how can they um, increase the sales, in my opinion? Uh, how can they, they do better? I think giving away free games is, is good. I think what I would do, for example, let's, let's just use Stalker Shadow of Chernobyl. That's the first in a three-game set. I think what you do is you give away the first game for free. If the person accepts that deal, you give a 25% whatever, you can go deeper, 30, 40% discount on the remaining game of the series. I think that would help getting sales. I I think deep discounts is good. Everybody goes hog wild on the Steam sale. Well, I don't know if you do. I, I do, and most people I know, when they go to like those 70, 90% discounts yeah, yeah good yeah, titles, yeah. Uh, I load up. Uh, the only other thing, this, this is kind of on the messy marketing end of things, but it would, you know, these services push when a game that's on your wish list is on sale. It'll be like, hey, Witcher 3 is 70% off. But why not push when your friend's thing that they want is on sale, especially if like Steam, you have to give your birthday or you're supposed to. It's saying, hey, you know, birthday's coming up for your friend. They've got these five games on the wish list that are for sale that they're looking for. I think that would get some sales. People like to gift stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I well, it's it's scummy. I oh yeah. I don't know that that would be enough to. I don't know. The first thing you say that is to me is like I would hate that, and but it wouldn't drive me away from a platform. You know. I mean, just it just because of what Steam is like, nothing will usurp. Steam is the main place that I would go to to buy a game. But here's the thing, though. Again, with my PC gaming, I'm not buying AAA titles for my PC to play them. If there's a AAA title that I'm going to buy, it's going to be for my console. So really, when I like, I, I like I'm in a more advantageous position to take advantage of these sales on some older games or Epic putting up AAA titles for free but our older games like i have the entirety of the latest tomb raider trilogy that i got for free on epic that's insane i don't know if how they're ordered in the library is dependent on when i acquired them without any additional sorting because they're all over the place so i obviously got them i got them at different times i don't believe i got them all three at the same time right so just over the progression they just offered them all you know it's interesting though about like a digital platforms like these and digital stores is literally like you say just offer more deep discounts because any additional sale is an additional sale it is anything you're making is more than the zero you would have made on no sale because you don't have physical products sitting around taking up 
taking up space and and costing you money as far as that there's no whatever the uh, the overhead they operate with it doesn't matter how many titles as far as i know that they offer on their platform because it's the overhead is relatively going to be the same so yeah i mean uh, any sale is a good sale right any sale is a good sale and not only that i think in certain cases any sale can be an essential sale I look, there are some wish listed, and I know I don't want to blow open this can of worms, but pre-release games, games that are not completed yet. And I've got a bunch wish listed, but they've been at like, they've been at like full price for three years and the developer hasn't done any major update on it in three years. So like, no, like I, sure, I'd like to give it a chance, but it's an incomplete game. But now you discount that thing 80%. Okay, then I'd say, you know, there's probably enough content for me to give it a shot. But yeah, these I don't want to get into the stream green lighting, but I that's one downside of it. I suppose. But I mean, when you think when you think of a game like in some type of early access, those games are not those are the games that aren't going to be discounted because they're in early access to generate more revenue to get them out of early access. So by discounting early access games, you are limiting the revenue flow for that company to complete their game and yes you as a buyer need to do your due diligence like you would in any other market and and look into these early access games these betas that that you may want to pick up like i have not i've not been burned like that right i'm just thinking of and like we talked about kind of last episode like factorial was one that ghost marty brought up uh even in beta in the early versions of that like that game was great and they were just they just added more polish to it and and it's it's in 1.0 like like Marty says and and beyond and more updates coming. Um I think of a game like Valheim which they are still their their Iron Gate Studios is certainly taking their time in their development but things are happening and development process is happening. That game is still technically beta. And when you look at the state that that game is in currently and the amount of content that it offers you currently that is nearly a completed game, right? Like they're adding an entirely new biome is their next update, which hopefully will come up before the end of this year, potentially early 2023. There's no set date for it yet. Uh, and once that biome comes out, like once that update comes out, like I'm undoubtedly going to be going back into Valheim and playing. So, so I personally have not been burned, but I'm just look. Think of it like if you walk into, if you were going to a physical store and you're per- perusing the shelf, like you would potentially browse through. It, the store on Steam and Steam library, and you look at a game, you say, "Oh, Bob's Roto Rally Racer." On the, you pick it up off the shelf. Hmm, I like racing games. And you get home and it's a fuck, and it's it's going to be trash because you've never heard of it. And it's called Bob's Roto Rally Racer. Of course, it's going to be garbage. <laughs> Do your fucking due diligence as a consumer. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you have to. Yeah, there are shitty people out there that have shitty business practices. And you, as a consumer, no matter what you are consuming, have to do your due diligence to protect yourself and the money that you are spending. I don't, and I don't say that and make that point to completely make what you're saying moot or dis- discount it at all, because you still do have a point. Like when, and, and the thing is, like Steam doesn't give a fuck as long as they're making their their percentage of it, right? They don't care if the game is still generating sales. What the fuck does Steam care? Steam will put anything on their goddamn story they will they will will. yeah i you know i think you're right and i think where that due diligence can come in i would not be an early adopter of these early access games what i would do is i would 
I mean, unless you really, really want it, give it a year to see what the developer does. Do they do regular updates? Are they substantive? Are they working towards their roadmap? Because, I don't know, maybe this is not, this is such like low-hanging fruit, but you look at Star Citizen, it's been over 10 years, and what they have, they have a hardcore audience that likes what they have, but I read their roadmap stuff, and every month it's like nothing. It's like we change the shade of the red cross on the medic's outfit, and <laughs> okay. that's a good month's work. Okay, we could talk about Star Citizen for like two more hours. <laughs> I, I'm, and I'm, I really like Star Citizen. I wish I had the room on my machine right now to reinstall it so I could play it with some of the recent stuff they've been putting in. Because honestly, it sounds pretty phenomenal these days. And like it's in obviously the best state that it's going to be in. And I've seen a lot of people. I don't know if I'm trying to. Do, here's the thing with Star Citizen. I don't know where I stand on it. I don't know what side of the scam fence I am sitting on. The yay or nay. Um, Probably the nay. It is difficult because like. Me too. Because they're doing work. Work is being done. And if you you look at the amount of money that they have brought in and, you know, divide that by the money over time and then compare that to a studio like Rockstar working on Red Dead Redemption 2, putting in their $500 million over seven or eight years. It's like they're like Star Citizen is making like they've made less money. They have less money for slightly more development time. Uh, again, that's just like really getting to particulars. And obviously, Rockstar is is a huge giant to be comparing your your game to and measuring up against. I guess. So I don't know. Star Citizen is 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 interesting. I know a lot of people love to shit on it, and it runs terribly for a lot of people. It's one of those games that obviously. They're nowhere near from making it optimized for for people's machines, right? I have also I also recently saw that depending on what you have in your rig, it will run better on high settings versus medium settings because one I will be more that. CPU, one will and the other will be GPU. So depending on which components in your machine is is going to be the thing to focus on, that'll depend on what you're setting. So it takes it's like even more upfront investment for people to make this game work for them in the state that it is. And it's just, it's just so funny. Even when you think of like the common bugs that have been persistent, that may still exist since its inception or have been fixed. And the fix has later made another bug, but all of those bugs, you go on a forum and see someone bitching about those bugs. 15 other people will be right away saying, Oh, well, this is the workaround for that bug that we found. Right. So it's like people want, and people will adapt and make, a game with a, with, you know, that it is appealing enough to them work for them and, and, and function more. And just think of, okay. And back to Valheim, the amount of, uh, the, the modding community for Valheim, every single fucking Reddit post in Valheim, you see someone posting, what would you like to be in the game? What would you like to see in the game? It doesn't matter what they say they want to see in the game because someone's response is, Oh, there's a mod for that. And it's like, well, thanks. <laughs> Of course, there's a fucking... Everyone knows there's a fucking mod for it. It's, we're talking about vanilla game. Like, it's just like... Uh. So so these games will very quickly and easily become far more than anything the studio could possibly put time or money into, right? And when we've seen... It has happened where the, the studios will look at mods and implement and make those mods into the base game, right? Like, that happens. So the modding communities Counter are great. Counter-Strike itself is a mod. Right. All, that's all it is, is an iteration of a mod. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I get you on that. I We do have to do a Star Citizen segment at one point. Yeah, like deep dive into it? Yeah, it's just, it's so tormenting though. It's the whole scam thing. Okay, but here, okay, what we need to do, the, we both need to like play it for a solid like two or three weeks though, so we can get and the picture, whatever, yes, yeah, absolutely. The picture in time of how this game functions and what state it's in right there and do like a deep dive segment on it. Because I think it will be such, I think it'll be like an incredibly frustrating podcast on it because we'll be like, <laughs> we had all this fun, but it's because you accidentally jumped out of the ship and I sent it flipping towards the sun. <laughs> and like, right. That's the most fun thing, but that's not what it's meant to be. Yet yeah. we'll also see the fact that, you know, when they promise planetary, seamless, you know, uh, procedurally generated planets and you can just go in and land anywhere... I have not played it, but I have seen YouTube video, and that is actually a 100% true feature. They yeah, somehow built that technology. Now, sure, it's only like six planets, but it exists. And that's like the phrase that is so infuriating about, is it a scam? It feels like a scam. I'm disappointed like it's a scam. But something exists that resembles, in part, what they said <laughs> we would get. Right. Well, I mean, honestly, I think... I think like Robert's uh, vision for it, like the scope was the scope is just too fucking huge. Okay, like oh, yeah, something something has to give, and time is what is giving. Right, time is breaking for this project. You know what I mean? Like that is the that is what is being sacrificed. Right, he's gonna die of old age before it's over, or like sickness <laughs> he's or gonna cancer. Pull a I'm R. not R. even Martin. joking. He is. <laughs> You know, you know what I heard you can do now is uh, if you get like a, like uh, you you know what the the cutlass is like the cutty black and the the cutty red, you can get the cutty red is like a space ambulance. You can get in the cutty red now, and people can request request medic pickups. You can fly in and zoom in and pick them wow. pick them up when they get down on a mission. There's a whole like revival system to it now that I have no idea how it works. Um, like infirmaries and all this shit. I don't know how any of it works. I really, I, I got to make space for it on my on my machine. <laughs> I might have to take Hunt out for a few weeks and, and summon we'll do it for it. Star Citizen. We're, we're doing it for the podcast. <laughs> we're doing it for the podcast. You know, it's, it's funny because I infuriate Joe so much by just telling him the updates. Because it'll be like, you know, we, we uh, animated a waiter putting cups on a tray. And then I'll tell him, right. so I'll, be like, look, I'll be like, look how much progress they're doing, Joe. How do you get it? The priorities, man. <laughs> the toilets flush, depending on what hemisphere you're in in the planet now, Joe. <laughs> Is he just totally out of it now? Is he just off? off He's the... so angry at it. He, oh. it's, it's like that kind of angry that you want to bug him because it's so entertaining. <laughs> because his, his opinion, and this is logical, is... You release Squadron 42, and then you do whatever it takes, however long it takes to do the persisting universe, which is the hardest part. I mean, that's the yeah. huge scope. But they instead prioritize the persistent universe, but because it's so hard to complete, then Squadron 42 is just on the back burner constantly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It seems like those priorities flip-flop, right? Like, for the longest time, people were bitching that they were devoting any team to Squadron 42 rather than... The persistent universe. So it's like, what the fuck? Do, what do people want? What what can they do? I don't what, know. I don't know. What do you want? <laughs> What's happening right now? 
Okay, okay, we gotta shelve this because this is gonna be a good discussion, but we have to play it. <laughs> yes, we do have to play it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I mean, that was that was dope. That was good. Yeah, that was that was fun. We had some energy. End of show. Do do the end of show stuff, my friend. All right, our website ttpodcast.com, where you find all of our show notes and uh, the the timestamps for all the segments. In case you hate. <laughs> maybe one, one topic that we're talking about is you want to skip it or skip around or whatever the T.O. Popcast on Facebook T.T. Popcast on Instagram I'm Leland underscore Steele on Twitter and that is who I've been and I've been Moby I do try to occasionally update the Facebook I've actually been trying to be a little more determined with that recently oh but, good uh, well we'll try to keep that rolling there and uh, yeah listener you've got uh, a preview to what we're going to be working on later in the fall got a few guests lined up as well so um with that i will give you my take care listener thanks listener bye bye